0: This is All Around Doctor, the Medicine, Poetry, and Technology podcast. Hello, guys, Dr. Robot here. I finally found the time to create my very first episode on the topic of technology. As you can see, the title of this podcast consists of Medicine, Poetry, and Technology. So since I was a kid, I've always been a technophile, and this topic is very special to me. It's something that I've wanted to talk about in this podcast for a very long time. But you know, I've been busy with residency training. I hope all of you are coping well in this time of pandemic. Let us always keep the faith and hope alive. This episode will focus on the two major mobile operating systems in the world today iOS, and Android. Here is the outline for this podcast. For part one, we'll discuss on the histories of iOS and Android. For part two, we will be discussing on the key features of iOS versus Android with their implications on the medical team and also for the average consumer. And lastly, we'll have a wrap-up and some of my personal recommendations. Ready? Hold on tight, guys. This is quite a long one. And honestly, (laughs) I don't mind if you want to use this to fall asleep. (laughs) Let's go, Dr. Robot Online. Part 1. The Histories of iOS and Android so first, let's talk about the history of iOS. My source is from Wikipedia. iOS, formerly iPhone OS, is a mobile operating system created and developed by Apple Incorporated exclusively for its hardware. It is the operating system that powers many of the company's mobile devices, including the iPhone and iPod Touch. It also powered the iPad until the introduction of iPadOS in 2019. It is the world's second most widely installed mobile operating system after Android. It is the basis for three other operating systems made by Apple, namely iPadOS, TVOS, and WatchOS. So, in 2005, when Steve Jobs began planning the iPhone, he had a choice to either, quote, shrink the Mac, which would be an epic feat of engineering, or enlarge the iPod, end quote. Jobs favored the former approach, but pitted the Macintosh and iPod teams led by Scott Forstall and Tony Fidel, respectively, against each other in an internal competition, with Forstall winning by creating the iPhone OS. The decision enabled the success of the iPhone as a platform for third-party developers using a well-known desktop operating system as its basis allowed the many third-party Mac developers to write software for the iPhone with minimal retraining. Forestall was also responsible for creating a software development kit for programmers to build iPhone apps as well as an app store within iTunes. The operating system was unveiled with the iPhone at the Macworld Conference and Expo on January 9, 2007, and released in June of that year. At the time of its unveiling in January, Steve Jobs claimed, iPhone runs OS X, and runs desktop class applications. But... At the time of the iPhone's release, the operating system was renamed iPhone OS. Initially, third-party native applications were not supported. Job's reasoning was that developers could build web applications through the Safari web browser that would behave like native apps on the iPhone." In October of 2007, Apple announced that a native software development kit, or SDK, was under development and that they planned to put it, quote, in developers' hands in February, end quote. On March 6, 2008, Apple held a press event announcing the iPhone SDK. The iOS App Store was opened on July 10, 2008, with an initial 500 applications available. This quickly drew to 3,000 in September 2008, 15,000 in January 2009, 50,000 in June 2009, 100,000 in November 2009, 250,000 in August 2010, 650,000 in July 2012, 1 million in October 2013, 2 million in June 2016, and 2.2 million in January 2017. That's a lot. As of March 2016, 1 million apps are natively compatible with the iPad tablet computer. These apps have collectively been downloaded more than 130 billion times. 130 billion times, people. App intelligence firm Sensor Tower has estimated that the App Store will reach 5 million apps by the year 2020. In September 2007, Apple announced the iPod Touch, a redesigned iPod based on the iPhone form factor. In January 2010, Apple announced the iPad, featuring a larger screen than the iPhone and iPod Touch, and designed for web browsing, media consumption, and reading. In June 2010, Apple rebranded iPhone OS as iOS, the iOS we know today. The trademark iOS had been used by Cisco for over a decade for its operating system, iOS, used on its routers. To avoid any potential lawsuit, Apple licensed the iOS trademark from Cisco. In October 2016, Apple opened its first iOS Developer Academy in Naples inside University of Naples, Federico II's New Campus. Okay, so the next part is some tidbits on the history of Android. This is taken from Wikipedia. I'm not gonna say everything because it's too long. It might bore you all to death. (laughs) <laughs> just kidding. Android is a mobile operating system based on a modified version of the Linux kernel and other open source software, designed primarily for touchscreen mobile devices such as smartphones and tablets. Android is developed by a consortium of developers known as the Open Handset Alliance and commercially sponsored by Google. It was unveiled in 2007 with the first commercial Android device launched in September 2008. Android Incorporated was founded in Palo Alto, California in October 2003 by Andy Rubin, Rich Miner, Nick Sears, and Chris White. Rubin described the Android project as quote, "...tremendous potential in developing smarter mobile devices that are more aware of its owner's location and preferences." End quote. The early intentions of the company were to develop an advanced operating system for digital cameras, and this was the basis of its pitch to investors in April 2004. The company then decided that the market for cameras was not large enough for its goals, and by five months later, it had diverted its efforts and was pitching Android as a handset operating system that would rival Symbian and Microsoft Windows Mobile. Rubin had difficulty attracting investors early on, and Android was facing eviction from its office space. Steve Perlman, a close friend of Rubin, brought him $10,000 in cash in an envelope, and shortly thereafter wired an undisclosed amount as seed funding. Perlman refused a stake in the company and has stated, quote, I did it because I believed in the thing, and I wanted to help Andy, end quote. In July 2005, Google acquired Android Incorporated for at least $50 million. Its key employees, including Rubin, Miner, and White, joined Google as part of the acquisition. Not much was known about the secretive Android at the time, with the company having provided few details other than it was making software for mobile phones. At Google, the team led by Rubin developed a mobile device platform powered by the Linux kernel. Google marketed the platform to handset makers and carriers on the promise providing a flexible, upgradable system. Google had, quote, lined up a series of hardware components and software partners and signaled to carriers that it was open to various degrees of cooperation, End quote, attribution needed. Speculation about Google's intention to enter the mobile communications market continued to build through December 2006. An early prototype had a close resemblance to a Blackberry phone, with no touchscreen and a physical QWERTY keyboard. But the arrival of 2007's Apple iPhone meant that Android, quote, had to go back to the drawing board, end quote. Google later changed its Android specification documents to state that, quote, touchscreens will be supported. Although, the product was designed with the presence of discrete physical buttons as an assumption, therefore a touchscreen cannot completely replace physical buttons. By 2008, both Nokia and BlackBerry announced touch-based smartphones to rival the iPhone 3G, and Android's focus eventually switched to just touchscreens. The first commercially available smartphone running Android, was the HTC Dream, also known as T-Mobile G1, announced on September 23, 2008. On November 5, 2007, the Open Handset Alliance, a consortium of technology companies including Google, device manufacturers such as HTC, Motorola, and Samsung, wireless carriers such as Sprint and T-Mobile, and chipset makers such as Qualcomm and Texas Instruments unveiled itself with a group to develop quote the first truly open and comprehensive platform for mobile devices end quote within a year the open handset alliance faced two other open source competitors the Symbian foundation and the limo foundation the latter also developing a Linux based mobile operating system like Google in September 2007 Information Week covered an EvaluServe study reporting that Google had filed several patent applications in the area of mobile telephony. Since 2008, Android has seen numerous updates which have incrementally improved the operating system, adding new features and fixing bugs in previous releases. Each major release is named in alphabetical order after a dessert or sugary treat with the first few Android versions being called Cupcake, Donut, Eclair, and Froyo in that order. During its announcement of Android KitKat in 2013, Google explained that, Since these devices make our lives so sweet, each Android version is named after a dessert. Although a Google spokesperson told CNN in an interview that, it's kind of like an internal team thing, and we prefer to be a little bit, how should I say, a bit inscrutable in the matter, I'll say. End quote. In 2010, Google launched its Nexus series of devices, a lineup in which Google partnered with different device manufacturers to produce new devices and introduce new Android versions. The series was described as having, quote, played a pivotal role in Android's history by introducing new software iterations and hardware standards across the board, end quote, and became known for its, quote, bloat-free, end quote, software, with, quote, timely updates, end quote. And the rest is history, with Android evolving eventually its versions to Android 10. And hopefully, we'll be seeing Android 11 very, very soon. Okay, now that we're done with the histories of iOS and Android, let's proceed to part 2. This is really the main gist of everything. The key features of iOS versus Android with their implications on the medical team and the average consumer. Let's face it, there will always be Apple loyalists and Android fans. I'm more neutral actually. I have both as my daily drivers, each serving different purposes for my needs. And really, at the end of the day, each company is after your money. Be it Apple, Samsung, etc. etc they just want to make a profit you are the consumer so you choose so choose wisely which corporation you want to entrust your money and data with apple's ios has been a closed system for a long time it's hard to download apps outside the app store without jailbreaking it by the way by the way i don't encourage jailbreaking because if you're not careful your data and even your phone will be compromised. It is very secure as your data is highly encrypted, yes, because as I said, iOS is a closed source system. But iOS is still prone to spyware and hidden malware, guys. In the past, there was an alarming scandal regarding a malware-infested zip file being sent to iMessage, kinda like a phishing email. The thing is, though, phishing emails usually manifest usually manifest as clickbait. And then once you click or you make the wrong link, it can actually infest your data once you do the deed by clicking. But in iMessage, during that time, your Apple device is programmed to peek into any message or file before it is presented to you, the user. So in short, it's kind of like not asking your permission to see the file. So your data would be immediately compromised if the zip file was sent and was also corrupted. Look, I don't know if this is fixed, I hope it is. But I don't use iMessage since I use iOS for videos, audio recording and airdrop and the occasional taking of pictures. So here's to hoping that this is solved. I mean, Apple is Apple. They have a reputation for security to defend, right? iOS's key advantages have always been simplicity and security. Basic apps like calculators, emails, messaging, web browsing, camera, and photo galleries are buttery smooth. Reading ebooks are a breeze. You get at least five years worth of updates. That's good. That means one's iPhone and iPad will be relevant for the next five years or so. Support and workarounds are easier since Apple controls everything. App development is screened by Apple's programming team. They make life easier for the consumer, especially the average consumer who just wants a phone or tablet that works. Now, for the medical team, the healthcare workers, the doctors, the nurses, the clinical laboratory scientists, etc., medical apps are much more ubiquitous in iOS compared to Android, no doubt. Medscape, MIMS, QX Calculated, name it, they are more optimized. Note-taking is really good in iOS. P.S. If you have the budget for it, because remember, you have to buy the Apple Pencil. It's not given in the box like Samsung. So, except for Samsung, which we will cover later in the podcast, Android offers no proper competitor to iPad and Apple Pencil. Apps like Notes, Notability, PDF Expert, Microsoft, OneNote, etc., etc., really work well with the pencil. Yes, guys, they really work with the pencil. For me, having an iPad Pro with a second gen Apple pencil is the perfect combo for a medical student who can adapt to technology in their studies. You know, annotating ebooks, annotating PDFs, drawing occasionally, you know that stuff, right? Making it your virtual notebook, yeah, those things. Okay, here's the biggest disadvantage of iOS. Ready? Say it with me. Price, capital P, capital R, capital I, capital C, capital E, Kaching. dollar emojis everywhere. Apple products are so expensive, especially if you're going for the highest end and highest storage spec iPhones and iPads. Good thing. These days, they release cheaper iPads. And there are so many good quality secondhand iPhones out there for sale, and they are all over the place. Sharing files to non-iOS devices is not seamless since iOS uses AirDrop. Good thing apps like SendAnywhere are the new workarounds for file transfer, be it iOS to Android, Android to iOS, iOS to Windows PC, Windows to iOS, you get the drill. Apple is very resistant to the transition to USB Type C. And, you know, it makes me wonder if it's because they want to contribute in making more profits for themselves via lightning cables, lightning ports, lightning accessories, lightning everything, etc., etc. You know, honestly, I just wish there was a world where everything is already USB Type C, you know? Just one charger to rule them all, huh? <sighs> How I wish. So far, USB Type-C is limited to the iPad Pro and newer MacBooks. Whew, That was a lot of info to cover, guys. And now let's go to Android. Its main advantage is customizability. With so many features and open apps at one's disposal, one can truly personalize his or her own device. Android is open source. It also kinda works like Windows. File transfer is easier and files can easily be segregated. There are many custom ROMs out there for the tech savvy. But, 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 I don't recommend rooting your phone and experimenting unless you know what you're doing, guys. With a wide range of specs and prices, there's an Android phone for every budget. Android's main advantage is also its great weakness it's a double edged sword. The fact that it's open source means it's more prone to having malware in the Google Play Store or in whatever store you purchase your APKs. Since it's easier to sideload APK files into Android by just downloading from third-party websites, installing the wrong APK will compromise one's phone and personal data spyware, malware, etc. Just like in Windows. Since there are too many phones and too many Android skins, there is no proper uniformity, unlike iOS, where again, Apple controls everything. Too many Android devices with too many custom skins means a lot of software bugs to fix throughout the phone's lifespan because every manufacturer has their own version of their own Android, you know? I won't get into the deeper details here. It's for people like Dr. Robot who love the complex language of tech. For most consumers who buy cheaper phones, these phones usually last around 2 years before they become irrelevant. Software support is not optimal since high volume manufacturing of newer phones will eventually make tech companies try to lead you to buy the newer models, you know? As what I said, it's your money that matters to them. For the medical team, Android still has a lot of relevant apps. No kidding. They're just not as optimized as iOS. They're not as smooth, but they work. Soto PDF Reader and Adobe Acrobat Reader are arguably the two most stable PDF apps around. Microsoft Office is free for small devices and tablets, though they encourage you to subscribe to Office 365. It takes a bit of a learning curve for the average consumer to be fluent with Android. But once you know it, it can help you save a ton of money especially if you just want a brand new phone that works the mid-range phone market is the true battleground for tech companies these days that's actually the reason why even apple released the 2020 refresh of the iphone se and you know what the main reason why samsung is still number one in the world is because of the high volume sales of its galaxy a series phones everyone might think, oh, it's the S-series and the Note series, but no, it's actually the A-series that's the hero phones. Honestly, if you just want a good secure phone that's reasonably priced and can be relevant for at least three years and would take decent pictures and video with good battery life, just go for the Galaxy's A51 and A71. Those are the two mid-range phones that I recommend for most people. And also, I'd like to add, especially for the medical people out there. The best way to know if your phone can still be good, especially in its RAM capabilities with PDFs. Just, you know, download Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine and load it in your PDF reader. If it hangs, then I guess it's time to upgrade, guys, because Harrison's is so, so color heavy and so heavy on the RAM for your device. Okay, let's wrap this up. So for me, in a nutshell, iOS is for tablets, videos, audio, photography, and longevity. Android for customizability, pictures, and most of all, budget range. I will add these though, the Samsung Galaxy Note series is for the premier Android experience. It is in my opinion, the do it all phone. The phone with a stylus that recognizes text and makes your life easier by annotating PDFs and signing digital signatures in a pocket sized rocket device. Sure, it's not the fastest phone around. But the sheer amount of features and good cameras in the Note series is the best for the doctor, the businessman, any consumer who wants to maximize the full potential of Android, and the productivity addict. For iOS, just grab any phone from the iPhone XR and above. Any iOS device with an A12 chip or more recent one will last you probably until 2025 and beyond. I'll leave you all with an Einstein quote. It has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. So who knows what the future holds for tech, guys? Sky's the limit. Thank you so much for listening and supporting my podcast. This has really been a pleasure, guys. Dr. Robot, signing out.